we're gonna talk a little bit about a, a few different things, um, but the reason we're here is that um, I just wanted to point out that everybody has total clarity about how the school situation is gonna fall out in the fall, and I just wanted to be really clear about that. But just to clarify, you're probably on a partial program, quarter afternoons, quarter mornings, every other day, Wednesdays, all the kids go to the school and clean, wear masks, go single file in the hallway, go single file dropping kids off, but go the opposite direction picking kids up, and then I think we've got a perfectly safe semester coming. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I think we're gonna talk about the uh, difficulty of putting together this semester. Um, I am not here to uh, show any disrespect for anybody who is in the midst of making these decisions about how kids go back to school, whether kids are in school virtually, whether they are e-learning, whether they are there for half days, four times a week, whether they are there full on. You know, like um, I think that every single person I have talked to in a position of authority here, whether it be a teacher, an administrator, parents, uh, kids themselves, I think everybody is trying to do their best to figure all of this out. And there are so many, man, there are so many layers to this thing. And I hear new ones every single day that kind of take my breath away. Like, you know, I was talking to somebody today about sports and, you know, and sports aren't the only extracurricular activity, but here in Illinois, they've been talking about, okay, how's it gonna work relative to sports? And um, they're kicking all the sports into the winter and then the spring. But if you are, for example, a football player and you wanna go to a D1 college and you're a senior, um, you won't get a reel out fast enough to get it to those schools. There's just so many little elements that make this super, super difficult. And they're, so I'm working with these kids and they're going through, once again, this whole series of difficulties and losses. And um, I'm really concerned about their well-being. So I kind of want to give you just a snapshot of what's going on through some of your questions. and um, But I wanna paint a picture before we get started. So the kids I'm working with are telling me something really, really consistent, but I wanted to gut check it. So the other night, um, I, I've been working up until the evenings, and the other night I'm walking home, and there is nearby a grammar school, and there's a park behind the grammar school. So there's a group of girls and a group of guys at the park Girls are sitting at a picnic table, they're talking. The guys are running around with the basketball, not dribbling the basketball, which I still don't understand. So um, being inquisitive and wearing a vest um, so that I am recognized as the authority figure I am, I approach these children, which seems ill-advised in a playground, but I did it anyway. Um, and I asked these girls, you know, like, hey, you guys, can I ask you a couple of questions? And they're like, oh, are, are we not supposed to be here? And I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe, but I have other questions, so maybe you're, maybe you're supposed to leave. But I wanted to know how they felt about school starting. So these were eighth grade girls. 
And, um, and they said they felt awful. They said they were so bummed because they were certain that no matter what permutation the, um, the superintendent and the board of education and the teachers came up with, it was gonna last for a day or two, then COVID was gonna spread through their school and they were gonna be out of school anyway. So they, it's gonna be virtual, it's gonna be e-learning and it's gonna happen forever. You know, we have no idea how we're ever going to get out of this because our parents told us this wasn't going to happen this semester and it's happening this semester. The boys, kind of the same. I asked them the same thing. They were a little bit older. And I asked them, what do you guys think? And, and they're like, it sucks because they're doing this thing by alphabet and I'm with my half of the alphabet. All these guys, they're with the other half of the alphabet, and most of the girls I like are with that other half of the alphabet. So there's all these little pieces of the formula that these kids are thinking through. But m mostly what I'm hearing from kids is this idea that this feels hopeless, and we're gonna be stuck in our homes e-learning. We're gonna be all out of rhythm, we are not going to be with our friends. We're not going to, and so effectively they're telling me in my language, we're not going to develop academically because we didn't learn anything last time. So what makes us think anything's going to be better or different this time? Um, we um, aren't going to be with our friends. So we're not going to develop socially. We're not going to have fun. We're not going to connect with people. We're not going to connect with new people. We're not going to develop athletically. We're not going to be part of a team. Um, we're just going to be in lockdown and we don't see an end to this. So I want you guys to know that part of our mission here tonight, and it's, it's a heady one. It's not easy is you've got to find a way to provide some degree of hope, not false hope, not, Hey, next semester will be fine. Your kid's not going to buy that, but real hope for your kids that things are gonna be better and that you are collaborating as a team to make things better. And even now that things are going to be interesting and different and better and that we're gonna make something out of this semester regardless of how it goes. It's a tall bill of order, but that's our job here tonight. So buckle in, it's gonna take a few hours, maybe six, seven hours. All right, um, let's see. Let's just go to some questions and I'm sure we'll get where we need to go. My son is 15, my daughter is 12. They are supposed to start high school and middle school respectively. Think about that alone, right? So you're dealing with a whole different set of rules and maybe days and times when your kids are in school. Just picture being this parent already and just picture scanning through their inbox of emails on the daily and wondering like, what's going on now? Is this going to be reliable? Is this going to be okay? Um, the options presented by my kid's school district are so confusing and we are stuck so far with the decision-making power. Do we send them or keep them home to learn virtually? Do we give them a say? Great questions, right? This is These, these are questions that most of us are carrying. So let's look at this. Do we send them or do we keep them home to learn virtually? God, I wish I had just one solid, easy, right answer for that. There isn't one. Um, the answer is yes. You know, to start, pick your lane. If it's, if it's up to you and virtual is an option, 
then I absolutely think you should have your kids be part of the discussion and see what it is they want to do and think about what's best for them and talk it through with them. Kids are smart. I, I, I say this on these lives all the time and on our podcast all the time. Kids are smart, they're discerning, um, and they're going to have some thoughts and they're gonna have some questions and they're going to have some input. And to make these decisions without them, um, it's not just about like adults making decisions for kids. This is part of what this year is gonna be good for, for kids, right? Is that I was part of making some of these big decisions in my life. So if they're not able to establish some sense of competence and resilience in the context of school, then at least they'll have the opportunity to do it in how they do school and how they learn, how they go about this whole process. So bring your kids into the decision-making process and let it be loose and creative. Um, uh, I, I was talking to a kid the other day and he realized like, I think we're gonna end up virtual. So he made this proposal to his parents and it went like this. Some of you have read about this idea of pods where kids, some parents are kind of like getting together to homeschool their kids. Well, this kid had the idea, well, we'll just all, we have really good Wi-Fi at our house and there's a conference table out in the garage. So let's bring that into the basement, get some chairs and my friends and I, we'll all learn together. We'll work on our computers, we'll learn together, then we'll take a break, we'll play something, we'll go play basketball or something in the yard or do something different, take a field trip, and then we'll come back and we'll learn some more. Might not be the right answer for your kid, but this is the kind of creative stuff that kids are coming up with. And you want your kid's input here because kids are thinking about this stuff and they're talking about this stuff. So get their input and don't assume you know what it is they want or you know what it is that they're worried about, anxious about, or feel good about, always ask them. Always ask them, no matter how old they are. You might be surprised, I always am. So I suspect you might be as well. So um, hopefully that helps you, um, whoever wrote that. This is from a 16-year-old girl. So this is a question from a child. Um, a child, a teenager, right? Uh, what's happening is a farce, honestly. We know COVID will be in our school, so all of these plans mean nothing. This, by the way, echoes the sentiment of most every kid I know so far. Plan B should be clear, virtual. We all know it's gonna happen, and when it does, how will we feel normal? Do we have to shelter in place again? How am I gonna see my friends? And how do I know when it'll ever be normal again, if ever? This is starting to feel more and more hopeless. And it's obvious, that obvious to us that adults don't know how to handle it. So listen to her, man. So she is telling you what kids are thinking. A lot of kids across the board feel like we don't know what we're doing. We're making these decisions way too late and it is ridiculous, right? We're, we're not doing this in real time or in good time. And we don't know, my friend Mike is texting me, so I'm gonna have to get back to you, buddy. <laughs> um, we don't know what the right answers are and our kids are aware of that. So it is okay to cop to that and to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know how this semester's gonna go, but 
You want you always want to leave with a note of honest, sincere hope. And if you're not sure what the hope is, be really clear that you know what we're not going to let this go down the way last semester went down. If that was a big bust for you, we are going to collaborate and we're going to make every week interesting in some way. Kids need this, you guys. I want you to keep in mind, kids have been out of school and a lot of them away from each other. A lot of kids are still sheltering, by the way. A lot of the kids I'm working with are still sheltering or seek friends on rare occasion. So they haven't been really socialized, certainly not doing anything academic for six months. And when she says e-learning isn't working, every kid tells me this too. So either you have to supplement what's happening there or if you are an administrator, please let's figure out a way to do Zoom calls or something interactive, or if there's a chance to have kids separated in the classroom, even for an hour or two a week, kids are telling me that would make a big, big difference to them. So some kids are saying, hey, just call it now, call it virtual now, but let us have occasional meetings where we're with some peers, with our math teacher, because we want to get to know our teachers. And kids across the board have been telling me, well, I don't want to just do e-learning off the bat or just virtual learning. I want to know my teachers. I want them to know me a little bit so that we can talk, so that we can communicate because I want to know them. And I do well when I'm engaged and your kids need to be engaged. So I think I wanted to include this girl's thoughts. I don't remember this for sure, but I think I wanted to include this girl's thoughts because they're a little bit of a cautionary tale for us. And I want us to all remember that these kids don't have a lot of hope. So don't make promises you can't keep about how this semester is going to go, about how next semester is going to go. Let them know you're going to work with them to make the best of it, but that their input's going to have some weight here as well. All right, cool. Next up, how are we doing? Are we doing all right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Julie thinks we're doing pretty well so far. Okay. Can you address the anxiety kids are feeling that have not been able to take a standardized test? So a lot of kids have not been able to take the ACT or the SAT. A lot of kids who were juniors last year, rising seniors this year. Um, even though many universities have gone test optional, it still leaves unrest as to what they will need to get into the school of their choice. My son keeps saying there are no more safe schools without a testing score. They're using a holistic approach when admitting students, which may help some and may hurt some. The uncertainty is so stressful on these rising seniors. This is so true. Um, kids who are 16, 17, heading into senior year who have not had the opportunity at their school to take the ACT or the SAT um, are really worried about like, what impact is this gonna have on my opportunity to do well? Am I gonna get into the school of my choice? Even if they say, we don't need your standardized test, could it help me if I do really well on it, you know? Um, so yeah, um, there are a couple different things. First of all, one thing I know is that any kid who hasn't taken these tests, and this is something I know just from talking to people who work at high schools, um, have the opportunity to go to a state in which these tests are offered and they can take those tests. 
Um, so that is not off the table. And I also know that schools, at least here in Illinois and in a couple other states surrounding here, are working on ways for kids to take the test remotely or to have series of Saturdays over the course of the next semester in which they can take those tests so that they can get them in if they want to. Um, so um, if your child is anxious about taking them, even if the school isn't requiring them, um, look into, and I think you just go to the websites for the SAT and the ACT, and they'll guide you toward testing sites or reach out to advisors at the high school because this is something that no kid should have to worry about. You know, like um, th this circumstance is not of their making. And I know this is super, super tricky and doing this extra research feels like an extra burden, but do it for your child if they want that test included because I'm gonna be honest, um, I have found, I, I don't love either of these tests to be blunt and, and perfectly honest, but I have found it's really helpful for some kids in terms of getting into the schools of their choices. So don't blow it off if your child wants to take that test and thinks it might be helpful to them. If your child's resistant, but you think it might be helpful to them, talk to them about that as well, because most admissions people would tell you at most universities, yeah, it still plays a role. Five years from now, these tests might be defunct. I know that some of the Ivy League schools, University of Chicago and some other schools have eliminated them altogether, but the vast majority have not done that yet. So if you want to get that included in your child's transcript, that's still a potential possibility. So don't don't just let it go. Wait, I want to interject. So Chrissy has a question. Hi, Chrissy. With the elimination and reduction of clubs, sports, and entertainment for teens, um, I convinced my high school age kids to get part time jobs. Is that a decent substitute in your opinion? Heck yes. Heck yes. Yeah. Um, no, I love that. Listen, here's uh, here's the deal. Here's why I love your idea, because you have found a way. Um, taking all the unknowns out of it to get your kids engaged, right? And for those of us who had jobs in high school, that is engaging. You might not love it, but it's engaging. And what does it do? It, it, uh, it approaches and meets some of the primary concerns we have for our kids. Competence and resilience, right? Those are the things we're trying to teach our kids. Part-time jobs teach competence, I'm capable, I, I learned a new skill, I didn't know how to run a cash register, I didn't know how to lay sod before, whatever. And resilience, I can handle a difficult thing that I didn't know before. So it also provides a degree typically of socialization, right? Even if it's not with peers, they're still talking to people and they're out of the house. And if you think about it, the bane of most parents' existence right now is the phone, right? And for as long as your kid is on that job, and I used to work at a grocery store from four to nine. I did not have social media at the time, but um, if I had, I wouldn't have been on the phone at all during that time. So no, I love that and I like the creativity of it. No matter what, find a way to get your kids engaged, creative, be creative if you have to. A part-time job is, is probably my favorite method for doing that because it does teach competence and resilience and you can't have your kids just engaged in academics all day and you also can't have your kids just 
chilling. You know, like too many kids, just as a side note, a lot of our kids, and we know this, it's frustrating so many parents because this has gone on so long. They have gone from being kind of like, even in my sessions, looking at me like I am looking at you guys right now and wide-eyed and attentive to being kind of like, you know, hey, what's up, man? You know, oh, I'm so tired today. I can't do anything. I'll, do, I'll cut the grass tomorrow. You know, that whole bit. Um, the more your kids are engaged, the less likely they're going to feel that kind of ennui, that negativity, that, that just flatness, right? Great idea, Chrissy. Thank you. Do you have, did you have another? That's good. No. You like that, though? That was good? Yeah, I worked at a movie theater. Oh, Julie, Julie worked at <laughs> a movie theater. Um, what was the best was... movie you, you snuck a, a look at? You, you snuck looks, let's face it. Oh, I don't remember. Was it about the quarterback? What was Star that? Wars? Oh, <laughs> Heaven Can Wait. Heaven Can Wait. That's Julie's favorite movie. Warren Beatty. Ooh. Stop. Uh, have, I, have I said my 16-year-old daughter says she's depressed? Have I read this one no. yet? Okay, my 16-year-old daughter says she's depressed. She's even said, she. so this really isn't about COVID, but it kind of is, right? So hang in here. My 16-year-old daughter says she's depressed. She has even said she sometimes feels suicidal. She sleeps all the time, stares at her phone, does very little but hang out with friends. At which time she seems to perk up and seems upbeat, not down. How do we know if we're being manipulated or if she might really need help? This is a very common question that I get really, really frequently from a lot of parents is, you know, like, is my kid really depressed or do they just not want to do the dishes, you know? Um, but the first line here is, my 16-year-old daughter says she's depressed. If your child comes to you, actually comes to you and says he or she is depressed or anxious, or suicidal, or just feeling down, or could really use to talk to somebody, heed that call. Absolutely find them somebody to talk to. Um, and, you know, she even says she sometimes feels suicidal. Kids don't make this stuff up, you guys. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 25 years, and when kids say this, they mean it. It is not frivolous. It actually takes a lot of guts to get this out so my strong, strong bias is to get your kids help. And my fear is that more and more and more of us are going to start hearing these things from our kids because this is really, really difficult for them. And it is depressing, you know, like this year, it is very, very hard. I'm gonna keep saying this, for kids to find hope in the midst of this year and our job if as parents, if we do nothing else in all of 2020, if that, that New Year's bell rings and your kids feel hopeful and they haven't learned a bit of trigonometry or Spanish, you have done your job, in my opinion. You know, So hope is now the name of the game because this has gone on for an exceptionally long time and they don't feel like it's gonna change. So we need to provide hope and Chrissy, your idea, it, it provides hope, right? It provides them a different context and it gets them out of this same cycle of wondering day to day, are they gonna pull the plug on school? Or this sucks, I'm so tired of doing it this way, I'm tired of my family, or I'm tired of going to school on half days, um, whatever it is. So um, 
so thank you guys. Thank you for your for participating. How are we doing? Are we are we good? Some questions are rolling in, so I don't. Maybe we should just go like back and forth. We Let's do. go back and forth. Is it your turn or mine? <laughs> Remember. Um, well, why don't you go? Okay. Um, our kids are going to school five days a week. How do we manage interactions with older family members? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This that is probably a meeting to have pretty early. Um, I have I have a strong personal bias about this um, that you always want to err on the side of safety. So um, be creative. We talked months ago about how to meet with older family members at a distance, right? Through a window. Um, my mom is 89 years old and Julie is good enough to um, buy Georgiana's groceries for her um, every week or two. And Julie and I were there uh, a couple of weeks ago and my mom had been alone for so long and, uh, and she said, hey, listen, can we just sit and eat and have a pizza? And so we, Julie and I like started thinking that through like, can we do that? Is that, can we do that safely? And we started thinking about like the, the dimensions of her place and we realized, okay, we can get some ventilation going and we can be six feet apart and not touch each other's food. And Julie's really good at wiping everything down that comes into a house. And we thought, okay, we can do that. So my bias is not to be frivolous about that, but be thorough, you know, and, um, and, and get everybody on board in that decision-making and in being thorough. So make sure everybody knows what their responsibility is and be really clear about it. This is one thing I'm hearing from kids, by the way, just so you know, is I'm working with some kids who haven't seen their grandparents in five and a half months. And they're like, that doesn't feel right to me. I want to see them. And we've been talking to some parents saying like, let's figure this out. One way or another, let's figure this out. Whether it's, you know, just going to their home and waving through glass. And one, one kid came up with like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to mail a walkie-talkie to my grandpa. And then when we get there, we can talk through the walkie-talkies. Everybody has a phone, so they could have done it through phones, but this was really fun for them, and they did it, and he wants to do it again. So be creative about doing this, but um, I'm going to share one very brief story. Um, I worked for a while with a teenager during this quarantine um, who fears she got her grandmother um, COVID, uh, fears she transmitted it to her. And she feels awful about that, right? So she kind of impulsively decided like, I'm gonna go see her and they hugged and you know, and she's not sure and, and her grandmother was exposed to other people, but these kids care. They don't want that to happen. They and, and it's devastating to be the kid who thinks like, I got my parents sick, got my grandparents sick or I got anybody sick. They do not want that. So as much as we think, oh, they're being frivolous by hanging out with their friends and I can see that the kids aren't wearing masks and stuff like that. When you talk to them, like I talked to these kids at the park um, last week, those kids are part of a bubble and they've done some computations to make sure it's cool to be together. So don't assume the kids are super frivolous. I'll be honest, I found myself frustrated with more people my age lately than I have theirs. And that's the God's honest truth. 
All right, we're, we're going back and forth. Yeah, my no. turn? All right. Um, I would love someone to give me some guidance on how to bring my son back to college in this uncertain time. We, thank goodness, are only two and a half hours away from his school, so we don't have to consider flying under COVID. But what advice or plan do we make for him for these next few months? I know there's no one answer, but I'd love to hear some suggestions. Thanks. Um, so you're, you've got a college student, right? So um, he's smart. It sounds like he wants to go back. Um, so start talking about what that safety plan looks like. The college will have one, but I'm finding that kid by kid, teenager by teenager, young adult by young adult, they kind of want to develop something on their own as well. They want to have a safety plan. They And they also want a plan B. So talk about like, okay, so are you going to go to parties? If you go to parties, how are you going to manage that? Because maintaining distance when people are drinking is untenable. It's not going to happen. Every single kid tells me it's not going to happen. So if you're going to go off to college, you have to decide if I'm going to parties, I'm putting myself or somebody else at risk. And you have to decide whether that's okay. Um, and some people, some kids are saying, well, I'll go to parties, but I'll wear a mask. Other kids are saying that's never going to happen. But if your kid decides and hard decides what they want to do, let them stick with that. And I would let by and large, especially with college students, I'd let them drive the boat where it gets tricky is if your kid's anxious about going to school and nervous about it. If they are, I think it's perfectly okay to say, it is okay. Most every single college across the country says virtual learning is okay, and you get the same credits, and you can do that. But we don't want that to be a reason that you don't go. Like anxiety and social anxiety and fear of being around crowds and academic anxiety, we want to make sure that our kids aren't just avoidant during this time. Because man, I'm working with a lot of kids who are like, oh, this is sweet, man. I don't have to go back to school. I can just chill at home. I can do well in school. I can kill my classes. I can, even, I can cheat, uh, honestly, because it's not that hard when I'm sitting at home. Um, so keep an eye on your kids and make sure that their reasons are the right reasons. Fear is not a great reason for making any call, okay? So make sure that we're not making our calls strictly out of fear. Cool? Um, have I answered that question? Uh, oh, plan B. So um, college students seem to want a plan B as well. That's what I'm finding, is that you know they want an exit strategy. So most of the kids I'm working with who are college students, they wanna go, especially freshmen. They wanna, if I can be close to campus, and everything's virtual. I want I want that. Or if I can be in a dorm and it's virtual, I, I want that experience. And I totally get that, man. I feel sick for these kids who are being robbed of this experience, right? You know, it's like just a kind of a nightmare. And I get it, there are worse things, but come on. For those of us who were there or who have had who have had kids who were there, this is really very difficult. So um, so if they decide to go. Make sure there's an exit strategy. Make sure there's a plan B. In other words, if you get X number of COVID cases or if you just get nervous, call home, we'll figure it out, we'll get you out of there and you'll do the rest of the semester or at least a few weeks from home 
and we'll kind of pick this up as we go. This is something you can do with your kids overall, by the way, you know what I mean? Kind of like decide as you go. So right now, the decisions you have to make are what are we gonna do right now? What's the next first thing we're gonna do? And then you can start making long-term plans. It's really hard to make long-term plans when long-term is totally unknown and uncertain. Okay, All right. you, you, are, is it your turn or am I going in? Um, Thank you for joining, guys, by the way. It's nice to see everybody here. Um, you go ahead. All right, here we go. Um, how can we support our daughter who is most likely going to stay home due to, oh, so, so this is kind of the opposite situation. Our daughter who is most likely going to stay home due to, to do online classes in lieu of going to campus. This has been a difficult choice because she goes to school in New York State, which requires anyone visiting the state from a hotspot state to quarantine for 14 days. Illinois, the state where the writer is in, was just added to the list yesterday. How fun and handy. Um, she would have to stay in a hotel near campus for 14 days without leaving the room. This really changed our minds about letting her return to campus. The fluidity of the situation is stressful. Man, is that an understatement, right? The fluidity of the situation is stressful. This is what we're all going through, but my God, think about this situation. However, I empathize with her about not being able to live independently and socialize with her peers and returning to see her boyfriend. Sorry, this is so long. It's all good, um, but it's a really hard choice. Thanks for listening. Um, so how do we support our daughter? Um, she's a college-age young woman, and I think you just want to sit down with her and go through the options, the possibilities, the choices, and the whys, you know, and, um, and see what makes the most sense. The, the crazy thing about what we're talking about tonight is that there is not for any one of these situations a cookie cutter decision. There hasn't been enough clear messaging from above that says, this is how you're supposed to do this so that we can all borrow from this one consistent message. So individually, and that's the reason we're here, we have to make these calls. And to my thinking, what you're gonna hear over and over again here is let your kid, especially your college age kid, but even your high school age kids and younger, be play a role in making this call. This is part of what's important in this part of their lives. This is part of what they're gonna remember is that I made this decision. Um, one thing I'm finding is uh, that kids sometimes, because they wanna get back to campus, they're not considering all the pieces of the puzzle. So part of our job as parents is to make sure if they're overly optimistic that we present like, okay, so what happens when COVID hits campus? And you know, that's probably gonna happen. How do you wanna handle that? Completely reasonable, and then you can make a really informed decision. If your child is overly pessimistic, it's reasonable to say, what if it doesn't happen? Or what if it's not, what if it's safe to be on campus? How do you wanna handle that? And let your kids make really informed decisions, but plant the seeds that they might not be thinking of because Sometimes, especially if there's a girlfriend or boyfriend on that campus involved, that's a big driver. And a lot of kids 
have um, this fear of missing out on something, right? So they're gonna say, I'll go, even though I'm really super nervous about going. Um, and that's not how we want our kids to feel, right? We don't want our kids to be anxious for months on end. This is really hard to predict, but give them the opportunity with the best information you have to guess what their future is going to be like and be willing to be pliable and flexible as you go. Cool? Good. Okay, mine. Oh, okay. Julie's turn. How do you decide between virtual and in-person when parents work full-time and there is not enough resources and capacity for parents to excel at both? Yeah, good question. Okay. Um, mom and dad work full-time um, and, and we can't really make either of these options work. It really, it, what works best for us as a family is to send our kids to these partial uh, school programs, right? You know, um, I think that's a, re well, it's actually an imperative uh, consideration, right? So you have to take safety into consideration. So if that means you wear a mask into the room and you make sure you're sitting as far apart as reasonable from other kids, great. Really important consideration, but mom and dad's availability to kind of guide that e-learning process is no small thing. And most of us know, <laughs> even though kids should be able to do a lot of this stuff independently, it's not happening. So we have to be pragmatic and realistic that most kids who are home left to their own devices, like most of us, are gonna do something different than just focus on e-learning, and they're far more likely if we're there to get to it. So for families like this, if you feel comfortable with the option of sending your kids partially to school, and I think partial is probably the best you're gonna do in order to get your work done and be available when you can, that's, that's a really crucial, important, difficult consideration, right? Because no matter what we do, and this, this is a hard part of this whole thing when I think about it. No matter what we do, there's a degree of risk. Um, but this is true in almost everything in life, right? No matter what we do, there's a degree of, of, of risk. But in the midst of a pandemic, the risk is really overt. It's in our face. The numbers are in our faces every single day. So it's really hard to be calm and find a compass of reason that makes a lot of sense. So. If mom and dad, if you guys are um, married or co-parenting or whatever you're doing, if you can sit down and decide, we're gonna create a tone here around this decision-making that is not alarmist and isn't just fear-based, but is based in calm and reason and the best interests of our child and of our family. All this is about setting the tone, right? In order to make these calls. And if we come at it with our own fear and our own alarm, we're probably gonna make poor decisions. We tend to make bad decisions when we're anxious, right? But if we have a little meeting beforehand and we say, let's set the tone and let's be calm about this. Because if we're calm, we're probably gonna make the right decisions. We're gonna encourage the right things. And our child won't just be alarmed and scared as he or she is helping in making that call. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, Julie? Yeah, and then if, if, if they go to school and it ends up switching to remote, maybe they can join with a couple other families, like 
you know, in a pod to help support their kids if they're at work. Yeah, you guys, I'm all about the pod thing. Um, I, I think this is going to become a necessity. And um, there are groups, we probably read about this. There was a, an article Sunday in the New York Times that you can dig up if you want to. Um, but for parents who are in this situation, getting their kids together to work together in pods and switching off who kind of the leader is, who the teacher is, who the tutor is, uh, depending on the situation, uh, but letting groups of kids be together, learn together, um, so that only one or two parents needs to be there, that is a very different approach than we had this past semester where everyone was sheltered in place and locked down, and it's probably a really good option for families like these. Yeah. Thanks, Julie, that's, that's genius. Julie's <laughs> brilliant, right? She should be sitting over here. Um, all right. Uh, huh. I am a mom of two teens and a college student. I've been feeling good through this process, process, appreciating the time with them, taking care of them, enjoying the moments, and staying positive. I think a lot of us have had a lot of this in us, right? Where we're like, yeah, a pandemic's pretty awful, but... I've enjoyed a lot of the time with my family. I'm hearing this from so many parents. Um, I heard on a podcast somebody say, I'm terrified of the pandemic ending and I'm terrified of it continuing. I don't know which is which is the worst scenario. Of course, we want it to end, but a lot of people feel this way. Like, you know, I've really enjoyed this time. Um, so this mom goes on to say, but lately I'm down, depressed, and a little hopeless. What do you think might be going on and what can I do about it? My God, man, um, you are entitled to feel down and a little hopeless. This has been going on forever, for such a long time. I've spent a lot of time talking about how our kids are super disappointed about what's going on, how they feel hopeless about what their futures look like, but sometimes that bleeds into our thinking too. We worry about our kids. We're worried about whether they're gonna get the education they need whether this is somehow going to stem their progress on the field, in the classroom, on the stage, uh, in every area of their life with their friends, right? But we're also, we also have our lives, you know? And, um, and uh, for a lot of us, the fun in our lives has been wholly arrested and we're not enjoying it. We're just in lockdown. I hear over and over again from parents like, I don't know how to instill any hope in my kid. I feel like 2020 is a bust, you know? So, so part of what I encourage here tonight is, you know, we're, we, we use the term self-care all the time. And I think sometimes it gets bastardized into like, you know, oh yeah, I'll take a bubble bath and I should feel better. And, you know, um, or I'm not taking very good care of myself and shame on me. Um, when I think self-care, I think, Think about the way you look at your world and think about the way you fuel your own well-being because a lot of parents, moms in particular, man, you guys have been working so hard for almost six straight months, not counting all the years before that, but I mean six solid straight months where you are just caretaking and then trying to live your lives in the margins trying to make a life as normal as you can for husbands, spouses, kids, um, other people's kids who are coming over. I'm working with some moms who are like making sure like other people's kids feel good if they don't feel good at home. So there's all this caretaking you're doing 
So there's very little time protected just for you. So for any parents out there who have spent way too much time spending all their energy on other people, I strongly urge you to spend a couple hours a day on you. Whatever it is that fuels you, whatever makes you feel good, whether that's exercise, whether that's hanging out with friends and having a cup of coffee and just talking, whether it's reading something that's inspiring to you or just watching Netflix and relaxing, take care of yourself because man, your caretaking isn't over. We still need you to do a lot more of it. So please hang in there and a lot of time for you, a lot of time for you. Your kids can find ways to entertain themselves. This is another part, important part of what they're learning as the process goes on here. Good. Uh, you got something? No. Uh, well, Nancy, um, I, just in case someone listens to Hi, this Nancy. later and doesn't see the feed, Nancy had a great comment. It, if you form a pod, include a kid, maybe reach out and include a kid whose parents don't have the resources. Make sure, yeah. like, you know, that was a great comment. Yeah. Um, I assume people heard you, but I'm just going to repeat that. Oh, um, they yeah. heard me. So they heard you? <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. So yeah, that's my sister-in-law, Nancy, with a brilliant idea. Yeah, definitely include kids whose parents don't have the resources. Seriously, what a, what a great thing to do. And, um, and those kids will feel like they belong too. Like there's no possible downside to that. Um, okay, let's see. How are we doing? We got time? Yeah, just, yeah. Okay. My college freshman is so disappointed already that her start date is both deferred and virtual. How do I comfort and reassure her? Um, let's, let's reconfigure your job here. Um, your job is not necessarily to comfort and reassure her. That is not all your child needs right now. Um, she is legit disappointed that her start date is deferred and virtual. I'm working with so many college freshmen this week, like in the past week, 10 days, who are getting that news. And you know we can spend all the time in the world trying to do something that we think is comforting and reassuring, but really part of what they need is just to hear, yeah, man, that sucks. That is not the way we pictured, you pictured starting your college career. And so some recognition, acknowledgement that, yeah, I mean, we'll do what we can to try and figure this out and make this better for you. But on the whole, I get it. It does. It sucks. And I wish it were different. And anything we can do to make it feel more normal, you let us know. And my hope, no promise, but my hope is next semester or the beginning of your sophomore year, that's going to feel way more normal. The other thing to throw in there is that, um, and this I'm learning from some of these college freshmen I'm working with. Um, I worked with one girl last week and she was kind of saying, yeah, this, this is such a drag. My, my only option is to make the best of it and make it interesting. My goal first semester was to meet people. So, that's still my goal. I still want to meet new people. I'm just going to have to get really creative about how to do it. So think about that. So she's thinking like, you know, I've been encouraging kids for years, like go up and down the hall and meet everybody and have a pizza party in your room. 
that probably is not tenable now. But she's talking about like, I'm gonna create some kind of online group for some of the people who I live near uh, so that when we finally get to campus, we will know each other. Or um, if we're actually there, then we'll have some social distancing get togethers or something. But she's gonna put something together where this isn't just a bust because kids don't wanna just call it and say, well, that's it. You know, like this is just gonna be a drag of a semester. She's decided like, I'm gonna make this interesting and I'm gonna make this memorable for myself and hopefully for some new friends that I'm gonna meet. And there is no reason, even under these auspices, not to try to make that happen. Strongly encouraged. How are we doing? Keep going, yep. Keep going? All right. Um, okay. I have a rising sophomore in high school who hates school. He wants to opt to stay home as it helps him manage scholastic and, and social anxiety. We think he should go to school to face these challenges given the option. Thoughts? Um, oof, this is so difficult, right? Um, like I was saying earlier, so many kids are kind of almost with the devil in their eye like, oh yeah, the pandemic's still going. I don't have to go to school. This is gonna work out fine. I'm not missing out on much and I can do school at home and all the pressure's off. But when kids live in that space for too long a period of time, I just worry about how we're going to get them to reintegrate on the back end. So I'm gonna borrow um, something from, some, from Chrissy who wrote uh, a little while ago. Um, if your child is anxious about going back, if you or your child is worried about safety or health, I think it is a completely reasonable thing to decide, you know what? We are gonna defer for now. We're going to do virtual work for now. But you've gotta find a way to engage somehow because the longer we allow any kids to be disengaged from peers, the harder it's going to be for them to re-engage. I'm so sure of this that like there are kids I work with who a couple of months ago started getting together with friends again. And when they would, they would say, I, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like these are my good friends, but I haven't seen them in so long. My socialization practice effect is is no longer working. It's on the fritz. I, I, I have to relearn how to be with people. And these are kids who are not that socially anxious. So encourage your kids to connect somehow. So when Chrissy brought up like, you know, that part-time job thing, I want kids engaged and connecting with human beings. The last thing, here's the thing I don't want. If you, if we, you take nothing else away from tonight, what I don't want is your child from eight to 28 to be in their room upstairs with the door closed on a screen for eight hours a day. This is unhealthy and a lot of us will agree that this has been our children's lives for months, for the vast majority of their waking hours. And they're getting more and more lethargic and listless and depressed and anxious and that's not just gonna automatically get better. So play your mandates and play them smartly and have a couple, have a couple things where you know like, okay, if we decide you're not going to be in that school and engaging with those kids, you're gonna do something. So you can be creative and we'll work with you and figure out what it is, but it's gonna be something so that you engage because 
your kids being disengaged isn't gonna work. Trust me, I promise you, they'll end up on my couch or somebody else's in the not too distant future, and that might be avoidable. What do you got, babe? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, oh, here we go. Okay. Um, we talked about study pods, so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that one. My son and daughter, both high schoolers, are both athletes. It looks as though their seasons, once again, once again, will be canceled. We are fearful that they will drop these sports altogether and they are already less active than they have ever been before. How do we encourage exercise and sport when we are not even sure ourselves when and if they will play competitively again? This is a really good question, right? And this is scary, man. Like, you know, I, you, you think about kids who aren't just athletes, but are engaged in music or theater or drama or debate or whatever it is. And, um, you know, if, they're, if their things keep getting canceled, how do we get them to engage? But mostly I think about athletes because I want kids, I want every kid to be an athlete some of the time and I want kids moving. So if your kid's missing a season and you're not sure how it's going to play out this year, um, I'm, I'm going to borrow a phrase from a friend of mine, act as if. So act as if that season is going to happen. And at the very least, then your child is in the mindset of, okay, then I'm going to start, I'm going to keep conditioning. I'm going to keep working out. I'm going to go on those runs and I'm going to do that pretty frequently and work with them and get them coaches. Um, if they need them, there are a lot of coaches who are looking for one-on-one -on -one work or one-on small group work in different fields. So seek them out whether your child's a runner or a lacrosse player or a tennis player or a football player, there are people out there who are ready to give your kids workouts that they can begin now. And my bias is get them working out as if those sports are gonna take place. If in fact that doesn't happen, you've lost nothing, right? Your kids are in shape, they're working out. Um, and I've said before, I don't know a better antidote to keep kids out of therapy by and large than to keep them moving or at least to keep them away from being depressed and anxious and listless to get moving every day. I talked to a young man today um, who uh, I've been working with for some time and a couple weeks ago he thought well maybe I'll do a sport next year schools in session so I'm going to start running. So he started running a mile a day and now he's up to two miles a day and he feels like you know what? I, I'm kind of a runner now. So even if your kid just adopts that without a season, that's pretty good, right? You know what I mean? Like that's one of the best things we can do if the school isn't going to be able to provide exactly what we need. Then we can provide that for our kids. And if you're an athlete yourself, run with your kid the first couple of times or go downstairs and work out with your kid the first couple of times. Go to the gym with them if the gyms are open. Um, but join them. Um, how are we doing? There's something that says there's a minute 56 remaining. Does that mean I just get an hour? Oh, I don't thing? know. But go to go to the last one then. And okay. Jam. All right. What's what? what give, give me give me the short strokes on the last one. Oh, the, the last the, it's thing. this one. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Um, and if I lose you guys, I will start another live right away to finish this thing. Uh, so much vitriol for teachers feeling concerned about in-person learning right now. 
Large high schools often have thousands of students and hundreds of staff, so even in an A-B hybrid sort of model, there are going to be hundreds or even thousands of people in the building. True, remote learning wasn't successful in the spring, but it was an emergency effort and improvements are being made. In fact, some teachers have told me it takes about five years to put a remote learning program together, and most schools did it over a weekend, two weeks on the long end. Um, school employees deserve protection and the tone on social media toward teachers. Um, the tone on social media toward teachers is extremely demoralizing for anxious teachers and staff. So unfair, man, right? These are the heroes who are taking care of our kids. And I don't throw that word around lightly. I mean it. Um, and I know of a fair number of you. There's so much division in communities at the moment over all things school. The sports parents are angry and changing their profile picks to let them play. All the while, cases keep rising here in Chicago, in the suburbs, and across the country. Um, almost seems like on the back end of this, as you call it, communities are going to be so divided and it feels like there is no solution other than managing your own reactions to the freedom mentality of those who want what they want in spite of the continuing pandemic we haven't even begun to come out of. This is somebody who is uh, either a teacher or an advocate for a teacher. And I got a number of messages from teachers um, wondering like, why the vitriol toward us? I totally, listen, we have to understand the position we are asking teachers to put themselves in. It is really, really odd and untenable, right? You know, you, you think about like the idea of being in front of the classroom. We know there's a pandemic and we know that we're all supposed to be separate and apart. And yet I've got, uh, what, 15 kids facing me, you know, and kid number nine sneezes and I'm anxious now that, you know, I may have contracted COVID, you know, like so. And meanwhile, I'm supposed to teach these kids and I have learned from a number of you teachers how that job that so many people think is kind of one dimensional and you know, you go and you teach a couple of classes and man, that's so easy. What a great gig and, a gig and you get the whole summer off. Yeah. Like you've gotten this summer off, right? Um, I know how hard you guys work. Um, and I know how hard you're working trying to figure this out. The vitriol toward teachers is unacceptable to anybody, you guys. All we can do, what we need to do, is offer our full support to teachers. And if teachers want something different, really want something different than teaching in the classroom, we need to honor that. We need to hear that and honor that and recognize that it's not going to work out very well if the person who is in charge of teaching our kids and managing our kids and watching our kids and maintaining the safety of our kids and entertaining our kids over the course of the entire day is anxious up there about their own physical well-being or the physical well-being of the kids surrounding them. So, um, And it's reasonable to be anxious about that. <laughs> it's totally reasonable to be anxious about that, 100%. We're, I'm, I'm anxious in Starbucks, for God's sake. And, you know, like, I, I yell at people. I yell at people in Starbucks. So I totally get that this might not work in some situations. This is not the fault of teachers. All, we owe teachers so much. Think about what they do 
think about what teachers do for our kids. I'm looking at some of the names that are passing by and I'm thinking about like what I know that you have done for so many kids that I know and, um, and, and their self-worth, their self-esteem, literally their sense of who they are, their identity comes from you guys in so many ways. And when I talk about like the goal being, um, uh, what are my goals again? They're competence and resilience. Thank you, Julie. Competence and resilience. We, we parents are sometimes not that great at helping kids establish that, but teachers, man. And coaches. Teachers and coaches <laughs> and coaches and teachers and directors and you name it, man. Those people who house grammar schools and middle schools and high schools and colleges who work so hard. This is a passion project, man. People are not in this for the big scratch, right? They're in this because they care so much about your kids. So do not turn on the teachers. That is not right. It's not fair. And all the good stuff comes from the teachers, man. This is where our kids learn how to be in the world. And if teachers are saying, you know what? It's not time right now. It's not, re I'm not ready to be in the classroom. Then it is reasonable for our kids and us to follow that lead, right? Because they know more about that than we do. So I'm willing to let you guys lead the call. I hope mo more of us are willing to do that. I hope school boards, boards of education, and superintendents are listening to teachers and what they have to say because I want you guys to be safe and comfortable and happy because I know you are working your butts off to make our kids safe and comfortable and happy and feeling good about themselves. Your work is invaluable, invaluable. And to you know all of my son's teachers, and all the teachers of the kids I've ever worked with, you have my undying gratitude and respect. Um, there's no bad guys except the virus. <laughs> Julie says there's no bad guys except the virus. So don't, everyone George Duffy just joined. And George, just type in if you agree that the teachers that you have had have helped form the man and that coaches. you have become. And, and coaches, make sure just... For instance, that you say, yes, I'm very grateful for my teachers and my coaches. Absolutely do that. Um, but yeah, super, super grateful to everybody who works inside the school buildings. You guys deserve nothing but respect. And I, for one, am willing to follow your lead. At the very least, I encourage everybody listening and everybody who listens in the future to this not to politicize any of this against teachers of all people. You guys, we're all good guys, but you guys are particularly good guys, and thank you. And um, listen, we will probably have to revisit this issue because Julie's doing this. She's saying, wrap it up, John. Too much of you, talking too much, come on. So, um, we are gonna call it for tonight. I am super grateful for those of you who joined us. Um, hopefully this has been helpful. If you have any thoughts, comments, questions, smart remarks that you want me to address on one of these future Instagram live things, or if you want Julie and I to talk about on our podcast, let me know at Dr. John Duffy. Thank you. Have a, a great night. Be safe. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.